Hello and welcome to the Robert A. Heinlein Book Club. In this podcast, Ivan will be reading through all the published works of Robert A. Heinlein, um, beginning with uh, For Us to Living, working my way all the way through the later novels. Um, and we're just at the beginning of this, this, this long adventure that I expect will take me more than a year. Um, but we're moving our way along. We're almost to the to World War II, um, which is a, constitutes a break in Heinlein's career. Um, so um, that should come just about summertime. Um, so maybe I'll, I will take a little bit of a break at that moment uh, before jumping into the post-war uh, work and the juveniles and, and all the fun that that's going to entail. Um, this episode I'll be looking at And He Built a Crooked House, which was published in Astounding in February 1941. And I just want to point out there was something I was playing with. I wasn't reading these like month by month chronological. I, I just kind of printed out all of the, uh, from, you know, all the Heinlein and Monroe and McDonald. They're all Heinlein. Um, stories from Astounding and the other journals, other magazines from 1941. I stapled them together and I just started reading them in kind of a random order. I wrote on them when they were pub uh, published. I probably could have done it chronological had I wished, um, but I didn't. But anyways, the point is, in one of those, there was a mention that all of Robert A. Heinlein's stories are part of a, a larger universe called the Future History Series or something. And I'm like, ah, this is maybe the first acknowledgement of that in, in Astounding. And then I, I remember going back and saying, like, is this true? So I compared the... I, I look through the list of the stories that I had already done up to that point, and yes, indeed, all of the ones published under Robert A. Heinlein's name in Astounding were future history. There were some Heinlein stories published other places that weren't future history, and there were, of course, the McDonald stories that were not part of the future history series either. This story might throw that whole analysis into the mud. I'd have to actually go back. I'm not really want to, but anyways, this is... Heinlein story, published under his name, published in Astounding. That is not part of future history. So this is a small little uh, point that may be of interest to someone. I don't know. Or maybe it is part of the future history in some weird way. Maybe it's just a throwaway line like, you know, I ran into uh, Lazarus Long the other day. And then move on with the rest of the story. I don't think so, though. This does not. This seems to be a, a one-off. So, anyways, and he built the crooked house. There's not going to be that much to say about it. It's a really cool idea. In fact, this is the second story in a row that I've read where I'm like, wow, that's a really cool idea. And by his bootstraps is the same way. I like Heinlein in this form. When he's playing with really interesting, cool science fiction ideas. And when he's not being overtly political, right? And I, I think it's because there's something about his politics that I appreciate that but I can't fully kind of get behind there, there's something about it that's just in the realm of weirdness I like his gender stuff certainly I like his 
support for what would become known as the sexual revolution. He certainly would, have, would be behind that. Uh, there's aspects of his, of his uh, political thinking beyond that that I like too, uh, that I find value in. Um, libertarianism is, is kind of a joke, so uh, anarchism isn't. To the degree he's more on the anarchist side of things, I find value in it. To the degree he's kind of this weird American libertarian, or at least an inspiration of those libertarians. I think it's more that, that he's inspired libertarians than he he fully is one. He certainly does believe in like state service. He, he I don't think he'd get along with a lot of libertarians you might, might watch on, on YouTube or see on Twitter these days. But if I get annoyed by Heinlein, it's always when he's like, presenting history in a certain way or 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 adding stuff that doesn't have to be in the story and it ends up being a little annoying like philip dick he had his politics like politics were much more ingrained in the story itself like i'm thinking of the the small town one where you had a guy like making a town in his basement and then this like changed the town in the real world and it was kind of he was making a comment kind of on 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 urban planning in a way but it's just a story, and the politics are really integrated into it. It's not like there's a lecture. He, he, Dick never really lectured to you, I don't think. Uh, you had to kind of do the hard work of trying to say, is there a meaning here? That's why, you know, it might be, dis we might debate what that meaning of those stories are. But this, the, the meaning that's there, political, social commentary, it's intertwined in the story in a much more intimate way. Heinlein has that as sometimes as add-ons or a character like boldly declaring that this is so. And we still get those characters in the story, the, the, the obnoxious, bold characters. But this is just a, at this heart, a, a cool science fiction idea. It doesn't, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. I think it's not actually up to the quality uh, of some of the other astounding tales, actually, in that it's just... A fun idea. So what's basically going on here is it's set in California. It's set in the you know in, in LA and it's like small town. That's what I was thinking about small town by Philip Dick. It's kind of about urban planning and urban development in a way. Like it's at a it's a part of America that's becoming overdeveloped. Right? Where what matters is like the new like building houses for the wealthy. Right. And that that's kind of the heart of what the story is, is building a house for a wealthy person. And the rapidness of that, <laughs> we got this, like, we're actually told this house is being built in days. Um, that's, that's kind of plot convenience, I suppose, but it's also like a sense of just houses popping up in new styles. You can imagine someone like living in L.A. at the time, seeing all this new development taking place as the town's being developed around the, around the, the film industry. And, in, you know, after it kind of got reined in by Hollywood. Right. There's a great book called Working Class Hollywood or something, uh, which talks about how in the early days of silent films, there was a much more democratic kind of filmmaking culture in America. And a lot of those films have been lost. But now, like, well, well by the 30s, the film industry had been kind of taken over by the studios. And that's when it gets centralized in Hollywood. And then you got all this wealth around that that's going to lead to this kind of this creation of grotesque homes of all these different weird styles. And that's, that's one other thing I like about the story is it, it is kind of getting at that theme, but not directly. It, I mean, there's a little bit at the beginning that's, that's 
a little commentary on it, but but he's kind of backdooring this this theme of of like grotesque conspicuous consumption in homes that's taking place around LA. So anyways, what happens in the story? We have this guy, Quintus Teal, who is an LA architect. And he um, is having, this is very Heinlein, so he's, he's having a conversation with someone else and he's kind of like talking over him and telling him, how, you know, showing off how smart he is with his theories and, and kind of berating the pe other people for their small mindedness and not being able to look into the future and all that. That's, you can really tell you're reading Heinlein when you get those kinds of conversations. Um, but he basically says he has the idea to build a tesseract house. Um, now, essentially he's saying, like, I don't quite know what was in his head when he says it. Basically he's saying, like, you know, we if we build a four-dimensional house. Now, of course, the tesseract is just a three-dimensional representation of a, of, of, of a four-dimensional house thing a four-dimensional cube i don't know what it's called four-dimensional cube uh, it's not a cube it's whatever it's 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 kind of a, a cube with a fourth dimension I, I guess whatever it is we can't visualize it we can't experience it and then our our baylor he bailey he's the, the rich guy who's going to build the house he says well, that's time, I and mean, we can't like have a house through time. He's like, no, we're, let's think of four spatial dimensions. Let's imagine this and build a house along that lines. And he's like, Bailey's like, well, how can you visualize it? And then he builds him a tesseract with like these toothpicks and clay that just happens to be around. And I don't know if you've ever seen one, uh, if you ever, you know, in school or whatever. Basically, it's the three-dimensional equivalent of a four-dimensional um, object. The same way like you can draw a cube on a flat surface, right? And it's distorted. The lines are diagonal, right? We've all learned to do that when we were in grade school. But it's it's how a cube looks on two dimensions. A tesseract is how the four-dimensional object looks in three dimensions. All right. So he says, like, we could do this. So the, the what this would mean for architecture is you could have essentially four or eight, eight rooms for the space of, of one. Right, but then Bailey's like, "Well, sure, but we don't have four dimensions, so what the fuck are we talking about?" Um, and then they get the idea. He's like, "Well, if we unpack the tesseract, if we unpack the eight dimension or the eight rooms that are in would be in it, we'll get a square on the bottom on the first floor. Then we'll get a floor with five rooms, um, one in the center, then one." branching out in each direction and then we'll get two on the top so we end up with eight rooms altogether that's an unfolded uh tesseract essentially uh it's essentially made up of eight cubes kind of stacked up in a way you could kind of do it you, you can google it and see examples of this i had to do that myself and then uh, you know teal's like well I'm inspired by this Tesseract idea. Obviously, it's four dimensions. So we can't really do that in reality. But the idea of building this house, it does save space in a way because you only have one plot of land and you can build this eight-room house. It's kind of like a skyscraper almost um, thing. And then, um, and then he's like, okay, I'm going to build it. And then Bailey's like, well, I was going to build a new house for my wife, but she wants like a Georgian house or something. And then... Teal's like, oh, that's too old-fashioned. We're going to build this new house for for her. And then they do that. He builds it very quickly. 
The night before they're going to show the house to his wife, who's named Matilda, there's an earthquake, as there is in California often, and then they go, and all that's there is a cube, one cubicle room, not a whole, the whole Tesseract house. And then the idea is like, well, did someone rob it, steal the half the house? It's kind of a modular house, which is kind of a cool, different like idea. I, I think, I don't know if... You know, we're going to see more module houses. That's going to be a way of architecture in the building. There's something kind of attractive to it. I know these people sometimes like will stack shipping containers that they buy cheap and make it kind of a house. Um, there are some cool ideas about modular home building. Um, and that's kind of what we have here. But uh, that's kind of another topic. They get there and it's just one room and they go in and then it's like kind of like a haunted house where they go in one you go inside one room and there's another door to another room and and you know it's all they're basically the eight rooms are still there but they're all condensed in the tesseract so they're basically in a tesseract uh, which is a three-dimensional representation of a four-dimensional space now i didn't like i mean I, i'm not good with this four-dimensional stuff like I think Heinlein probably did this, though. I want to believe he did this, where he actually said, like, how would these rooms connect together, right? And how would that be experienced by people inside a Tesseract if we, we actually did that? I mean, I'm sure there's people who can do that and, and kind of could proof this story along the way because they journey through the house and have these really weird connections. Like, there's this idea they have to, like, jump from one building to get into the garden um, and things like that. Um, but they also kind of say they don't really connect mathematically logical. Maybe that just allows Heinlein to have a little bit of fun with it. Um, and they get, they also find they're kind of in space has been compressed in ways because they're in four dimensional space. So when they look out, they can see across America to the Empire State Building, or they can see maybe in other countries, or there's one where they, they see kind of nothingness. So, I mean, basically all that's happened here is the the eight rooms have been condensed into the one square, but in fourth, fourth, four dimensions. And, um, you know, Teal, the architect realizes that that's what happened. That basically this earthquaker condensed everything into four dimensions. Um, and, And they can kind of have this little adventure through it. And much of the story then is just this adventure through the house and its angles. And it, it's kind of like a haunted house story at some point. In fact, one character, I think it's Matilda, actually suggests, "What do you, well, you know, I'm in a haunted house. And then Teal's like, no, 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 we're just in a tesseract or whatever. Now, eventually, the house sort of implodes or something. Um, and after they leave, and it vanishes at some point. Or I, I think they get warped. They kind of warp to another part of the country, and they have to go all the way back to L.A., and by then the house has vanished. So um, so I guess it got sucked into another dimension or whatever. whatever you know, it's fine. The, the idea is there. Um, and then it's just like, well, maybe Teal's going to invent another house in the future. He's got another idea, a five-dimensional house. Or you actually suggest maybe there's a way to kind of nail it down. I don't know. Obviously, we don't live in five dimensions. So it's, I guess if you read like Flatland, it's kind of along that lines of, of imagining what life would be in. That's, that book's trying to understand what it would be like in two dimensions. Um, 
there's a Futurama episode about this. This is trying to imagine what it'd be like to interact in, in five-dimensional space. I don't know if it's fully successful, but I think the idea is kind of cool. Um, what I kind of get out of it is this, this, you know, the experimentation in architecture in the mid-20th century. It was a great era of architectural experimentation where you have the Soviet Union that's trying to, like, create new architecture, especially after the war they do this, but... You know, this idea of like, let's house all these people. Um, you have Bauhaus, you have uh, various types of modernist architecture. And if you take like an, uh, a world uh, or an art history course, you can learn about all these different experiments in, in architecture. And a lot of it was like architecture for the masses, right? And a lot of it was focused on practicality, right? With the squares. Uh, this you know the square windows and everything cheap materials glass and steel concrete not the really expensive decorative fancy architecture we, we would get in earlier centuries there's kind of this intense practicality to it they can shoot up fast um form follows function all that kind of experimentation in architecture in the mid 20th century which of course is still very important how we live today in cities um and that seems to be part of the discourse that Heinlein is engaged in here in And He Built a Crooked House. Um, beyond that, I don't have that much to say about the story. I do think it's it's a lot of fun to watch these characters kind of come to terms with the fact that they're in a, in a tesseract. Um, and, and it's introducing an idea. I think that's the key thing. Like, this is something, maybe you've come across these when, you know, when you did four-dimensional four calculus. And I remember my teacher had a tesseract model to show us basically what a three-dimensional representation that would be. Uh, and that was kind of cool to look at, but I never could quite get my head around it. This is a story that introduces that idea, which Heinlein must have been aware of from, you know, other things he was working on or just other things he was reading. And he wanted to convey it to, the, to his readers. And I think it's... It's kind of well done here, right? But I guess thematically, it's like, you know, Teal's revolutionary idea is like, let's use four, five dimensions to like build housing more efficiently for everyone, right? If we just build a tesseract, it's actually going to be eight rooms for the price of one. That's kind of cool. Um, and that, that's a good science fiction idea that could be applied elsewhere. If you've seen even like, I guess in a more Philip Dick way, you'd get it as... You know, the one room that can change maybe into other rooms or something. If you pay it a quarter, it'll, your bedroom will become your kitchen. I guess they do that in the Fifth Element movie, right? With uh, where people live in these small apartments, but there's multi-purpose. That's that's one way to go about this. But but Heinlein's really playing with metaphysics, uh, and and it and it works well. And you learn something. I didn't know about the Tesseract house till I read the story. So and now I do. So thanks for that, Heinlein. So next up will be Elswin, um, and that's actually our last 1941 story. We've gotten through them all. We got a few 42 stories to deal with. These were stories he would have written in 41 before he returned to you know government service, um, but they didn't get out in print till 42. So I think there's six or seven in 42, um, and then we're gonna have a long break, uh, at least in terms of like of the years. It's not going to be a big break for the podcast unless I decide to take one. But we'll see how I feel. So I guess that's all I have to say about uh, Annie built a crook of crooked house. It's 
it's a good story. I enjoyed it. So um, that's it for now. Uh, thanks for listening.